Entrepreneurship appears to be the flavor of the month. It's the sector seemingly everyone is focused upon. Politicians, journalists, and investors are talking about the startup segment like it's the silver bullet to cure all ails. What people are maybe not talking about as much is that entrepreneurship is really, 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 really tough. It requires a resilience and fortitude that makes ultra-marathon runners look lightweight. There is a particular strength of character that's required in order to succeed. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Road, and in this episode, I've invited world-renowned organizational consultant and clinical psychologist, Mark Rogachnik, to talk to us about this entrepreneurial character and delve into what it takes to be successful. Mark, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on The Healthy Business Show. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, I just want to get straight into it. I mean, you have been working in this sector, in the organizational psychology, organizational development sector for the last two decades or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, there's you've worked with some of the biggest companies in the country and actually some of the biggest in the world by the looks of your resume. What has changed and what's exciting you at the moment in terms of this, this field? Mm. You know, Fred, I think that um – this is probably the best time to be in my work, probably ever. Uh, you know, if you go back 30, 40, maybe even 60 years ago, uh, anybody who was in charge of people was usually just in charge of paying them. Uh, they were sort of a personnel manager, and uh, they sat somewhere low down in an organization. It was just to make sure people had a contract, that the contract was signed, that you could fire them if they didn't fulfill on those commitments and what was required and that they got paid every month. And as we've moved through the decades, there's been a, a very clear realization that people are not just resources. Uh, so even human resources, you know, pops up as a, as a title for an executive and a whole function. Uh, but really the thinking has evolved that people aren't just resources or machines that you can plug and play into any new situation that just change when you want them to, that sure. uh, come to work every day and, and, and just give you what you want because it's been programmed in. It's evolved to a very different understanding that in most cases people are your differentiator and that when the people leave your building, your head office, your small branch, your little five-person uh, home office even, uh, your business is basically dead. It's uh, There's nothing there, and it just livens up again the next morning when people arrive. And so what we've got to now is a very clear recognition that, that people matter. And what you're seeing in many global organizations is a move of this combination of the CEO and the CFO. The CFO is now being almost replaced or has been joined by the CPO, the chief people officer or the head of people, that the two I see to the leader is now somebody who understands people, understands culture, understands how to get the best out of people, how to help them perform. And these are all indicators of a trend that we're, that is emerging, which is putting people front and center. And if you look at a place like the United States, I think some of the stats will tell you that, you know, majority of people in the U.S. are employed in businesses with less than 10 employees. So I think those sorts of numbers probably roll out across the globe that most people are actually employed, not in large corporates, but in small to medium sized businesses where it gets very personal and it's very close and very intimate. And so the dynamics of human relationships and interpersonal relationships really begin to matter more and more. Mm. Uh, And so in a context where people are rising in 
the contribution that is expected of them and how they looked after. Even small businesses and medium-sized businesses are having to think quite carefully about how they get the best out of these people that come every day, how they treat them, how they relate with them. And it's challenging. This is not something many people have learned. They certainly didn't learn about it at school. Usually didn't learn much about it at university. And so they go into a job with a technical skill or a passion or an interest or they spotted a gap as an entrepreneur and they they run for it. And then all entrepreneurs and business people you speak to will tell you they have a great idea with a lot of energy and persistence to pursue it. But at some point, people just get in the way. Yeah, it's tough, right? If you're not a natural people's person, it's it's tough to to deal with those emotional elements of that interpersonal relationship that you have organically when you're spending eight hours a day with another human. Exactly. If you've just been used to, you know, finishing what you need to do on your tasks, executing against what needs to be done, uh, if that's where you found your worth and your value, now having to stop and listen to somebody who's had a bad day or who's going through a difficult period in their lives and talk about where they think they should be in their careers in a year from now, that just gets in the way of getting things done. And so the tension that emerges for many leaders, uh, managers, uh, is I have to continuously deliver, but at the same time, I'm realizing that I have to slow down and stop and give time to the people around me if I really truly want to grow. I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, it used to be more about a power structure where you just get things done and people are pawns to be moved around. And now it's more of a collaborative structure and you've got to really kind of work out how to eke the best emotional responses from people as well as just the performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think you can look around you and you'll see many organizations are still run with a very clear hierarchy, command and demand structure. And, you know, they get results. The question always is, are those sustainable results? And as new generations enter the workforce, will they tolerate it? Is there a shift? I mean, are you seeing that shift in terms of the expectations of this new workforce coming in and a lack of tolerance for that sort of hierarchical and and let's say patriarchal structure? Definitely. You know, the new generations that are entering the workforce have been schooled in a few very important awarenesses. The first is that they can access information and knowledge in a moment. So valuing somebody for what they know and what they've learned is not as much of a big deal to many young people entering the workforce. They need to know what they're about, but they also understand that they can access information anywhere and from anyone really, really quickly. So don't value me for something that I got as a piece of paper or a certificate. That's not why I'm here. They've also learned that Uh, through evolving educational systems and family structures that children's opinions have actually been asked of. They've been asked to contribute and have an idea and give their thoughts. And so they leave school and university expecting to be asked to be included, to be valued, to have challenges thrown at them. And even if they're only a week into the job, there is an underlying sense of maybe I could add a thought here. I do believe I have a value to bring and it's the way that I think and it's the way that I understand this new world. And so, so it's more is, than just money. It is definitely more than just money. It's a lot more about overall experience. How am I getting the best out of my time and my day? And, and my job is only a part of that. And my degree is only a small part of that. And there are many things that I could still be doing with my life. And they've been encouraged to go through multiple iterations of their careers and to make many changes. And so with that mindset coming into the workforce, 
if a command and demand style, hierarchical, maybe even patriarchal style leader pushes down on them what they should do, how they should be, how they must think, there is a very innate resistance to that almost immediately. Sure. It's coming across almost as abusive to, I suppose, the new workforce, yeah. right? So people and leave. And they're going to yeah. regale it. And, That's right. And, and I suppose they can also publicize it now. Well, exactly. Easily. Yeah. They do a lot of damage to your reputation because they tell their peers who are also not looking for environments that are as constricted. But also, you know, when people start talking about money, um, and this is an important stat, when people start raising money as – the only reason that they might stay or to buy their loyalty to the company, it's usually because you haven't made them feel like they belong. So how important then is it to have a very clearly defined meaning or purpose or, or central cause or central mm. proposition that is meaningful to the modern day company? I think it's always been important. I think most of the greatest organizations that have been able to survive over, say, 100 years, and there are very few of them, if you go and look back at, at what it was that fueled their ambition, it was multi-decade sense of how the world could be. And it was often quite big and generic, often a lot more about how the world could evolve, how people could have a better life. And those sort of deep beliefs about the future has been able to help those companies never lose that belief, but – let go of certain strategies. So what about a small company then? I mean, should a small company really define it in its early stages? I mean, because we're talking about big companies, yes. of course, you yes. know. But in terms of the small business owner, how important it is to her or him around putting that statement, the values of what mm. this company stands for right mm. in the inception stage of mm. the business? It's very important because every big business was once a small business. Right, this is where it all starts. Good answer. <laughs> so That's a great answer. It's, uh, it's, you have to start uh, at the place where they all started. Yeah. And I think there is a big misconception out in the market, which you know, hopefully I can share some thoughts on. Focusing on your values is very noble and very important. But actually your values are not the starting point. You have to identify what is it that you believe in. What do you believe about yourself and what do you believe in about the world? What core beliefs have been shaped as a business leader, as a business founder, start entrepreneur? What has shaped the way you think about the world? Who has done that? It's usually your schooling, your culture, your background, your environment, your country, multiple contributors to what you believe about the world. And when you can identify some core beliefs that everyone deserves to have a better life possibly, that maybe that you deserve to be your best each day or whatever it might be. When those beliefs are clear, then what we can say is, okay, well, if this is what you believe, what would you value? What would be important? So, for example, if I believe in human equality, I would value diversity. Right? I would value a broad spectrum of ideas. I would value inclusivity. So the core belief I have of general equality and egalitarianism drives what I value. And then you have this very congruent relationship. These things make sense together. Mm -hmm. What you then want to do is you want to make sure that the people you hire or the people that join your team have got a similar set of beliefs, not just values. So, And that's probably quite an organic process, right? Because it, you are defined in your belief structures, and your, it will attract. 
Exactly. The people who believe likewise, right? Exactly. So you don't always have to know what they believe, but if you can tell them what you believe. Mm. So there's a, there's a real practical benefit of that, I guess. And I suppose it relates also to what a lot of leaders now believe in terms of having those central core statements mm. clearly defined. If it's a natural and authentic overflow of something that, you know, really essential to them, yeah. it actually gives them as an entrepreneur energy, but mm-hmm. also the people around and in the team, the energy to, to pursue their maybe mundane tasks yeah. because there's a bigger, higher purpose there that Correct. they're working towards. Correct. And you know, that alignment, when I'm doing work that seems to fulfill a deep belief I have, I have meaning. It feels meaningful. It makes a lot of and, sense. And ultimately, I, I feel like I have a sense of purpose and direction. And the big mistake is if we don't focus there. And so what happens is people identify these wonderful values and then they can't live according to them. And they wonder why. Why can't we live according to our values? Well, it's because they probably haven't checked and understood what are the deeper core beliefs that they hold about themselves and about the world. And maybe a few of those values sound great because they've picked them up from some big business somewhere else and thought they were cool. But maybe they should just be dropped and we should identify a new set of what's important to us. What do we value based on what do we believe? And people are attracted to that congruence. They go, well, I see these people, the small business, this enterprise, it's clear about where it's going, what it stands for, what its values. And you know what? Their behavior demonstrates it. I see them living to those values every day. And that consistency is very magnetic. And we kind of go, okay, this is something I can rely on. It makes sense to me. I certainly feel like this is an environment I'd like to work in. And then people get drawn to it. And it's usually the best talent get drawn to those congruent environments where everything feels quite natural and easy and you're not having to try and work out and interpret how am I meant to be here? They say we need to have integrity, but goodness, I can see some of their business practices have got very little integrity and the way they talk about each other behind people's backs. Now, I don't understand. This is confusing. It's a great point because I suppose it puts a stake in the ground that you can measure everything against and you can actually, it helps people Outside, even as you grow and scale yeah. and you don't have that immediate close personal yeah. relationship with each of these new individuals, yeah. it helps them to be able to make decisions easier because there is that central stake yeah. that they can measure their decisions mm. against, I suppose. Let's just say you, you define your central purpose mm. and the values and your mm. beliefs and so on. Mike Tyson says everyone has a great strategy until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> yeah. So. This is the thing mm. about being an entrepreneur. It's mm. the sexy sector mm. now, and everybody's saying, oh, entrepreneurship is the answer, right? Mm. But it's flipping hard. Very. Now, if we can talk into a little bit mm. of that, what is the mindset that's mm. required behind mm. starting a business in this obviously very opportunistic mm. time, mm. very uh, exciting time, mm. but at the same time, very challenging time? Yeah. So, firstly, let me just put aside answering that question around technical capability and competence. You know, we can't be talking about an entrepreneur's mindset without recognizing that the ability to do the work, understand the context, know the environment, cover many bases of general business functioning, those need to be in place. You know, you, you, sure. you know, having a specific mindset is not going to get you to the end of your month to make what you need to pay the bills. Sure. I mean, if you're a pipe player, <clears throat> you're not going to be a website developer. Right. You've you got to have the right skill set and so on. Right. right, right. So those, uh, I, I'm not going to speak to that. And there's a wide amount that people need to know. And my observation is that 
When I work with entrepreneurs who've started in a garage or in their bedrooms and have grown a business, they have an insatiable appetite for learning. They are constantly drawing down on knowledge that's out in the marketplace, either from individuals they know or from people they respect and admire. And they are, they are learning and they are curious. And they're also learning from all the steps that they take through the course of the lifeline of their business. All the things that don't go well are revealing to them lessons. And those lessons they take on. And so there's Amazing. Ele- a reframing that happens organically. It's a constant desire to improve and be better. And it's often very linked to the technical aspects, to understanding the market, to understanding what they're actually about, to building better systems. But let me talk to you now a little bit more on the psychological aspects. Ultimately, one of the most underrepresented areas of development of an entrepreneur is understanding something about your character. If you hop onto Google and you go and search this now, you'll You'll struggle to find one specific definition of character. And if you do look at character development, what usually comes up is, you know, Marvel characters and the development of those characters in a yeah. script for a movie, yeah. right? So you have very little that people know about character. So let me explain it to you because what I see often is incredibly skilled and competent entrepreneurs and business people get to a certain point in the trajectory of their growth and then their character trips them up. Not necessarily what they know or don't know or the market there's something else that trips them up so character what is character essentially uh, the greeks define character as the scars that life leaves on you wow okay that's quite deep yeah we're getting deep (laughs) (laughs) we're getting deep here folks okay so the scars and if you look at all the definitions of character out there and there are many there are three primary components to the definition number one character is about your integrity It's not just about being consistent. It's about being honest, truthful. It's the ability to take the perspective of yourself and the greater good in combination and do what's best for all, right? So it's a very clear piece around integrity and how integrous you are perceived. The second is a moral and ethical orientation. So it's understanding what you believe in, knowing what you value, being unwavering in many of those beliefs and values, and again, positioning them as good for me, good for others. And the third component of this definition is judgment. We can see the levels of your integrity and ethic and morality in the decisions you make and how you make them. And so what happens is our character is most tested under pressure. So the ability to manage my emotions, desires, needs, wants under pressure is a test of my character, right? So you'll hear a lot of sports people talking about, yeah, it's got great character. They don't really know what they're talking about, technically speaking, but they're getting the gist of it. What they're really saying is that when this person is really under pressure, they don't lose their cool. They don't change the person they are. They have something that's able to manage this intense flow of emotion and not negatively impact themselves and the greater good. So you see this all the time. We've done studies in the U.S., Fortune 500 businesses, and this is work that they cascade across the line into medium and small size businesses, is there is this impression management that new employees create. They manage the impression they make with their other employees, uh, which means they, they know that they should speak in a certain way to people. They've read and learned that this is how you should be. And what happens is for the first few months, everybody thinks they're incredible. Well, not always, but a lot of the time, like, this is like the model, peer, colleague, employee. 
And then they start to, the pressure starts to build. And on average, there's a failure of impression management at about month 11. Jeepers. And the true that's, person that's reveals specific. themselves. Yes. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Month 11. The true person reveals themselves and be like, who is this monster? We didn't, we didn't hire this person. Who are they? And what's happened is they've just failed to control the needs, urges, desires, and emotions that rise up in them. So the question is, how do we help grow character? And most importantly, it's about understanding what are the triggers in your environment that raise up intense emotion mm, in, in simple way. And if you're an entrepreneur, that's happening every day. You're being triggered every single day because every single day is a pressure day. Mm. And the question is, do you know what those triggers are? So can you prepare for them? Do you know what happens when you get triggered? And are you actually willing to do anything about it? If you are, then there is an opportunity to help grow your character. And growing your character is about making sure that you understand what has shaped you and what has made you respond in two ways. Sometimes my life experience makes me feel like I need to promote myself to the world all the time. I need to compete. I need to control. I need to be perfect because something in my life gave me the message that I wasn't that. There was a lack of that in my upbringing, in my experience, even up until a year ago with a business partner. I just felt like I'm not enough. And so what I do in the world is I, I start to promote myself. It's unsustainable. It impacts relationships. It's all about me. The other response that I might have is a self-protecting response, which is I've been hurt. Things didn't go well. I've had many failures. I've been betrayed. I didn't deserve this, but it happened to me anyway. And it could have happened from when I was really young or up until last week. And so what I enlist is I enlist strategies to either just get people's approval so that they'll just accept me. I avoid conflict. I don't say what needs to be said. I get quite defensive. I hide away. I keep quiet. Now, these sets of behaviors are very natural and normal. And all of us have had experiences where there is a lack of something or where something has happened that we didn't deserve. Sure. But I suppose it's the awareness of them. That's and right. You need to... You need to introduce that awareness into your development as an entrepreneur, right? Essential, because it's usually those unseen triggers and the unseen reactions and the causes of all of that that make so many great high potential people fall off the wagon in their mid-40s and up to their mid-50s. You see these superstars who suddenly collapse and everybody goes, I what? can't believe it happened. Yeah, what happened? What happened? And usually if you track back just a little bit, you will see that they got themselves trapped in a set of responses to triggers in the environment that were simply unsustainable, were destroying relationships or destroying their credibility. They were making bad decisions. Their judgment was compromised. They might have been on a sort of a moral and ethical kind of boundary that they were crossing, uh, a.k.a. let's think sure, about it's politicians. A slow, it's a slow process, right? Uh, so it's like a frog in hot water that's right. over time. And just, then it just slowly the judgments and the choices are no longer coming from a place of good for me, good for the greater good. And the moment it's all about me, your environment, your context, your customers, your people mm. begin to lose loyalty to you. They're not so sure whether you're the one they want to follow. Uh, or be involved with or be in business with 
and then things start to unravel. So it's I mean, almost going back to the very first question, you know, what's going on at the moment and what's exciting about this space? Yeah, I think, firstly, the future is more human than it's ever been. And we can talk about the rise of tech in, in a moment. But I also think the future is more about understanding your deeper psychology than ever before. That the truly great leaders that can transcend and differentiate will be those that are deeply tuned in to their psychological makeup and to how the triggers in the environment burst emotions out within them and then the strategies they learn to control those so that they do not do harm to self and do not do harm to others. Those will be the leaders. They won't be the only leaders that succeed. There will be other leaders who will be brutal and ruthless, who will trample on people, and they will get some form of success. But it's not but, sustainable. But yeah. it's, it's not necessarily sustainable. It does a damage to a lot of people. It's just certainly also not what I believe in. You know, I think we've all got a choice. So if we have a choice and we could choose to do good for me and good for others, then that's certainly the choice I would make. And I think most people want to make that choice, but they don't always know how. And from what it sounds like, this new workforce is not necessarily going to accept that sort of behavior anymore, right? Exactly. That's a big behavioral shift that's starting yeah. to happen. And I guess it's kind of like if you look at a person in a new relationship or that they've just had a kid or something mm. like that, you know, there's yeah. all these triggers start to emerge, you know, and their character is revealed after yes. the 11th month. <laughs> and and I, I suppose you can only, you can fake it until you make yeah. it until you can't, yeah. I suppose. And That's then, right. Uh, then the relationship breaks. It starts to fall apart. That's right. Things unravel. Sure. So, and I think the big mistake we've often made was you blamed everybody else. Blame the market, blame the system, blame the country, blame the economics, blame my people. But are you sure that you've done enough work on yourself? And it's only if you really are 100% certain that you've been able to control these urges, desires, demands, and emotional outputs. And if you're 100% sure that you've done that work, do I think you should start, you know, really looking to, if we need to blame anybody, blame others, the outsider, Mm. I feel like this is, an, is a very key area that many emerging leaders, if they're in small businesses or bigger leaders, I certainly observe people are starting to, are starting to flirt with this. They're starting to become a lot more interested in, in the types of podcasts they're listening to and who they're spending time with and what they're reading. The trend lines are there to be seen. And, and with technology moving into disrupting entire sectors, they're also disrupting where people get value from. Mm. So if you were valued in a fund managing business for remembering a whole lot of data and your analytical ability, well, computers are already doing that and they're going to do more of that better than you ever could. And so what's left, your value is going to come from how you engage and relate with people, how you inspire them, how you make them feel. And under pressure, can you remain consistent to the way that you are when you're not under pressure? And in there is an opportunity for learning. If there's a difference between your sort of general kind of comfortable state and the pressure state, well, then there's possibly some work for you to do so you can show up as a better leader to grow, to take more risk, to expand. But that's certainly for me, I think, an area that's emerging as primary focus for, of work. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest any young entrepreneur, any entrepreneur, don't have to be young, but definitely any young professional, don't relegate the self-work and the, the growth in self-awareness by just pursuing another degree or qualification. Yeah, and I guess also taking that perspective, right? Taking the time to take perspective. Mm. So often we can't see the wood for the trees and the ability to kind of zoom out. And I suppose in the ways that we zoom out. Mm. So how important is it to have 
good people around you and mentors and that mm. sort of thing for today's entrepreneurs? Well, it's all in relationships. It's all really important. Um, so it's that human aspect. It's the human. It's about. the connection. I mean, you know, even large organisations get this. Do way. you have a mentor? I do. I have multiple mentors, and I have mentors who offer me different things. So I've got mentors that offer me psychological insights and awareness, and actually wisdom. Then I have other mentors that offer me commercial astuteness that have have been down the road and and seen and worked with and built their own businesses. Usually they're all much older than me, and I seek counsel from them. But I also spend time in reflective practice. I spend time in almost you know, therapeutic-type conversations to ensure that I'm constantly delving into aspects of my emerging, evolving self that may be showing up in a way that's ineffective. I also regularly put myself through 360-degree feedback reviews. Mm. I get people around me to tell me how I'm showing up. And that's hard, right? I mean, it's probably hard for most people. I think yeah. in terms of trying to get and be vulnerable enough to to really seek that sort of mm. feedback because mm. nobody – you almost have this instinctive fight or flight, I'm a dollar-based yes. reaction to it. It's like, don't criticize me, man. Yeah. Like, and that's really tough, right? It's, it's very hard. It's like my colleague says. He says, you know, feedback is a gift, but that's right after it's just kicked you in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Right, kind of, so it's there's a hard. lot of pain. You know, getting a lot of punched pain. in the face. <clears throat> exactly. In the nuts. exactly. It's not something we seek because we often assume that it's going to be negative or difficult to hear. But it's the essential ingredient to learning. And you know, if we only ask for feedback, well, hardly ever, maybe, or once a year, like we do in performance reviews, or once a quarter. Basically, what we're allowing as leaders, as people, is that our learning cycle is going to take a year to close off on itself. But if you're able to give somebody feedback daily, for example, that person's learning circle is closing off in a day. Sure. And so they're evolving and they're moving. And so if you as a leader are not seeking feedback on how you are showing up in multiple kinds of relationships, then you might never be closing the important learnings that could help project you forward in the business growth, in the relationships that you have around you, customers, suppliers, whoever it is important to you. Closing off those learning loops mm. is often reliant on reflection and feedback. Mm, for sure. And so resisting it is basically saying, I know everything. I know myself better than everybody else does. And there's this really important response that I usually make when people say that because I, I, I meet this all the time. I describe three words. So there's a difference between intention, impression, and impact. So firstly, I've never met too many people whose intentions are poor and bad. I mean, there are people. <laughs> we know there are, but most people intend to be the best versions of themselves today, whether it be as a parent or a partner or a business owner, mm. colleague. I just, just want to kind of do their best. You know, maybe just be the, like they were yesterday or try not to make too many mistakes, but their intentions are usually quite good. But what happens is they arrive in whichever context and then they, they start to behave and pressure mounts and things happen. And they then create an impression of themselves in other people. And that impression they create has an impact. So people will often say, you know, I just want people to judge me on my intentions, but actually they then judge everybody else on their behaviors. And so actually what, mm. what we need to be asking is, is there an alignment between what, who I intend to be and the impression I'm making with other people? And as a result, is there an alignment between that impression I'm making and the impact I'm hoping to have? And without feedback, you'll never know. 
You'll only know what your intention is, and you'll kind of get a sense of what the impact is, but you might be seeing something you don't like. The difference is you're showing up every day and making an impression about who you are and what you're about and what you value and what's important, and people are responding to that. So I cannot emphasize more the value of feedback, but that's not enough. Take the feedback and then try and understand, so why are you behaving this way, both effectively or ineffectively? To respond to it proactively. What's going on? Do you want – and who do you go to to get that sort of help? It doesn't have to be a therapist. It doesn't have to be a coach. It could be different processes, but it is certainly in my perspective – one of the key drivers yeah. to, to how people who have started with nothing have become something. And importantly, I think you seek counsel from multiple different sources. And then you can start to aggregate that feedback, yeah. and it makes sense. Because, I yeah. mean, some people mm. might not give you the best feedback for that particular problem or challenge that you're facing. Then yeah. you want to be able to assimilate us. it through all mm. of those things and mm. put it through the tumbler. Yeah. And then be able to take that perspective, I guess, and be vulnerable and yeah. have to be objective about it. Yeah. And in terms of the challenges that people face, I and mean, we we speak a lot about grit, mm. and you, you know, there's this whole Angela Duckworth mm-hmm. TED Talk mm-hmm. thing about grit being mm-hmm. the single most important predetermining factor mm. of success mm. with entrepreneurs, right? Mm. Do you agree with that? And if so, then how does one foster this thing called grit, this <laughs> kind of amazing elixir or <laughs> secret ingredient? Yeah. Yeah, firstly, I struggle with this idea of there is this one thing. Sure. You know, um, get more sleep and everything will be fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, have grit. So as long I, as there's a book in there somewhere or a TED <laughs> talk, right? Exactly. It gets a million views. Yeah, you got to have golden. compassion. You know yeah, what? Yeah. You know, find your a, why. Yeah, find your why. Exactly. Yeah. I saw a, a wonderful article came out of one of the big eminent universities which says, you know, collaboration is the new edge. I'm like, wasn't it always the edge? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, how is this new? Here's my observations. I won't respond directly to grit because I think it's got great value, but there's way more to it. I have this incredible privilege of spending most of my day with senior leaders, business owners, business starters, business founders. This is usually the mix. And I get to kind of almost go under the hood and I look at how they run their businesses and the teams that they lead and the way that they work in those teams. And the big byproduct of that is I get to hear their stories. And you would think that somebody who's now heard hundreds of stories of very, I think, effective and aspirational leaders, because not all of them are doing good for themselves and Mm. good for the greater good. But those that do good for themselves and do good for the greater good, who've got, I believe, strong character and who have shown that through their judgments over time, they don't have one specific source code to their success. What they have done is they've worked out what makes them unique. Not what makes them different. They've worked out what makes them unique. So yesterday I sat with somebody who's come from absolutely nothing, has got almost no no studies, uh, and now sits in an incredible, fast-growing business. And what makes him unique was completely different to the conversation I had yesterday afternoon with another person from the same business who comes from a totally different background, both of whom are highly successful, strong characters, but they've got the source code of their success are actually really quite different. Mm. What they do really well is they remain authentic to their uniqueness and open to learning. And as their environment and context shifts and changes, they find ways to adopt new strategies and solutions. Sometimes they need more grit. At other times, they need more compassion. Then there are moments where they have to articulate more of what their purpose and the purpose of the greater 
organization is. But what they have not lost and not sacrificed is a deep understanding of what makes them unique and as a result how they add value to the world. And then they borrow. And this is wonderful to hear. They always talk like this. We borrow. I borrow this idea. And I borrow that idea. And you should always borrow ideas. And when they tell their stories, often they'll say, I hope you borrow one or two of my ideas. Mm. But don't use it all the time. And don't overuse it. That's great. So it's kind of, it's multifactorial, basically, right? It really is. And it's difficult to define. Basically, what you're saying is the book that you're going to write is going to (laughs) suck. And (laughs) it's going to sell no copies because there's no secret ingredient. Well, I suppose I would go to get to know yourself. Okay. But then, I mean, who, everybody's written that book, (laughs) right? Um, so. Well, you're a clinical psychologist, (laughs) so you kind of got to say that, right? Exactly. I, 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 you know, I certainly see this incredible diversity of people that have done great things in the world done great things in their own lives, not at the expense of relationships or their families, but really been able to hold it all. And they are all so unique. I could never put one above or ahead of the other. Can we talk a little bit about the, you know, the families and those, you know, there's different elements of of life, Mm. I guess. Mm. And and this idea of work-life balance, is it real? Is it a myth? You know, how, what's, what are your thoughts on creating this amazing magical mm. balance? Yeah, I'm not, that's another catchphrase, you know, work-life balance. It's just life. There's some interesting work that's been done trying to understand where that phrase came from. And some of it has started to identify that organizations that created this idea of work-life were actually creating it so that people would begin to feel like the organization valued their whole selves. But that work was still the big counterbalance, right? So you give people a sense of, no, it's important to get balance. But, of course, they're talking about work-life balance. Okay. They're, they've actually separated those and said, this thing comes first, and then you're not, we're going to give you like a crash at yeah. work, and we're going to pay for your so this. There's still a we, dichotomy. It's, it's not connected. It's, it's not. It's, I don't think it's a true reflection of what the, you know, the true intent is. You know, a lot of people talk about work-life blend. Other people just talk about living your life and living your life in a way that's sustainable and energy raising and over time gives you the ability to continue to grow, to continue to be effective, to be happy. The truth is as we age, as we go through our adult development, we change in what motivates us. And so different parts of our lives become more important, but it isn't just this work life combination. It's living life and making sure that all the things that you value based on the your core beliefs yeah. are being allowed a chance to thrive and grow in a way that feels like it is congruent, that is complete, which means for some people, physical activity is a daily thing that helps them to regenerate, to work out their stress. So again, for it goes others, back to that uniqueness. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. I, I don't see one particular habit. I see some people work five days in a row with four hours sleep do they have no work-life balance? I don't think we can – we could maybe say, well, in those five days, they have absolutely no balance at all. Yeah. But over the course of time, are they living a fulfilling and meaningful life? That's the question we should be asking. So Jeff Bezos, I think, recently said it's the idea of a balance is nonsense. It should be seen rather as a circle and yes. everything being interconnected yes. because if you have a terrible morning with your mm. kids and mm. at home yeah. and having breakfast – you go to work and the first meeting you have is going to be grumpy and lousy mm. and mm. probably quite antagonistic mm. because mm. of what happened in the morning. So yeah. there's a circle that needs to yeah. happen. And if all of those areas are, are really equally weighted and looked mm-hmm. at with intent yeah. and, and thoughtfulness, yeah. and again, that perspective, I suppose, yes. 
it's more advantageous to yeah. every part of your life, including your business, yeah. right? Yeah. Jumping on that, we're living in this age of hustle porn. Like everybody's <laughs> boasting about, yeah, you know, I'm doing 100 hours a week. I'm doing mm. 110 hours. You know, Elon Musk <laughs> yes. is doing friggin' 400 yeah. hours a week. And, yeah. and I mean, what's your response to that? Mm. Because it seems to be quite a big part of the entrepreneur ecosystem. Mm. And, you know, it is a very big part of Silicon Valley, mm. right? Mm. And that's successful, right? So mm. what's wrong with it? Mm. People are all different. So, I mean, on the one hand, people do need very little sleep and they can do a lot of work and they have a lot of drivers that make them. So I think some people can get away with that. But the majority of us do need do need rest. We do need sleep. I certainly am observing more and more organizations are, are becoming quite cautious about how they push the sort of the medal that you get if you are, you know, working at all hours, sending emails at 2 a.m. in the morning over the weekends. And this is the reason. So I've had a few very interesting conversations over the last two years where leaders, CEOs, founders have been identifying this constant always on pushing yourself kind of energy as the first sign of disloyalty. So what they're saying and what they're observing is that when these people show up in this way and when organizations take advantage of that energy, there's usually firstly a driver in that person. That driver is usually trying to be perfect. They're striving for something. There is some experience that they've had. They're trying to prove something to someone uh, either alive or not. Uh, that they're worthy. And so what they come with is this need to perform and need to be perfect and to be great. And companies then take advantage of that. So that's the first observation. Not always very obviously, but you know, wow, this person gets so much done. We just give them more and then we're going to, we're going to, let's gonna, work them let's, let's, Yeah. Let's give them a promotion. Like maybe they should do more. So they yeah. become the big dependable person. The problem is if you look at all studies around people who work like that for periods of time, there are a whole range of consequences and sacrifices. Usually, their health. Yeah, they're going to hit a wall, right? And their relationships. Yeah. You've only got one body. That's the only body you've got your whole life. When that thing starts to fail and you've made it fail and you've contributed towards it failing, that's a big wake-up call. And the only thing that people crave is relationships. And when your relationships start to fail and start to break down, usually as a result of this constant perpetual drive mm. to just – be always on, eventually you start to blame that organization for treating you like this. Mm. And that's when you become disloyal and leave. And so a lot more leaders are recognizing that okay, you really so get a, the best. It's not a motivation. It's a consequence, it's a right? Consequence. Okay. It eventually leads to disloyalty. And so you want to catch it right up front potentially and help people because some people can't help themselves. They cannot help but seek approval, get the person to say they did a great job, be perfect, do the best presentation, compete against others, something driving within them in their life's experience that they need to fill a hole that was left there. There was a lack of admiration, acknowledgement, acceptance. Mm. And now they come into a work environment and they realize, well, if I do all these things, people are just going to love me. Unfortunately, it's a very inco- well, it's not uh, inconsistent. Sus- it's not sustainable. Exactly. It's for sure. Not sust- and, and the organization doesn't love you all the time. And by lying that, you're actually not looking after your person. That's the And it challenge. reminds me, I know you know Colin Hall. Yes. The erstwhile CEO of Vultry. Yes. I mean, he said something that jarred me once. He said, you know, if you work too hard, you're going to get two letters in the mail or one of two letters in the mail. 
Either one from your doctor or one from your wife. <laughs> it was quite scary. Exactly. I was like, oh, that's sick. Exactly. But, but the reality is, yeah. it's it, as you say, it's going to impact either your health or your yeah. relationship, right? Yeah. And burnout. I mean, we just have to look at the burnout stats. The burnout stats yeah. are ramping up. Yeah. And burnout is a lifelong condition. I think many people don't realize this. Many people think that you can work yourself to the bone, collapse, and then just recover. Dust yourself off. It doesn't get work up, that way. So walking no, again. It doesn't work that way. There is a lifelong impact of when you've put your body under so much pressure, you've blown a few gaskets, things have seized in your system, in your body, in your thinking, in your psychology, and you can't just get a new one. And so that has been burnt in to who you are, and it is often incredibly difficult to rise away from that. Mm. And it's totally preventable, right? So Again, by being aware. It's about and having being, that perspective. Exactly. Having people around exactly. you that are good people, exactly. that have your belief systems in place. And you, they value you as, mm. as a person, right? Mm. You see this happening all over the place. You know, it's not just you're just going to kind of hit the wall and I suppose recover again, bounce back. Mm. It's, a, yeah. it's a proper thing. Yeah. It's a condition. And ultimately, what does this mean for people who are running a small business, starting a business? I think… It's to learn how to deliver results through and with others is something to always keep at the top of mind. How do I make this successful? Not just because it's me doing it. And if I can get others to believe in what I'm doing, to find meaning in what we're trying to achieve, if I can make them their best selves by being my best self, well, then maybe we can share the load. And the more of the load we can share, the more we can enjoy the successes and celebrate the successes. And if we're open with each other and give each other feedback and do that regularly and build strong relationships of trust, then maybe this small business can become a medium-sized business. Mm. And it can sustain itself. And we can have new people joining who get to see and experience how we treat each other. And that it isn't dog-eat-dog and it isn't command and demand. But there is something else here that I as a human being – feel great when I'm in. And those are usually the stories of the catapulting opportunities. Competence, capability, systems, markets, idea aside. If those are all in place, it's all of these other much more psychological dynamics that come into play and need to be addressed. Mm. Uh, it's essential. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, okay, first of all, you scared the hell out of everybody with the burnout story. And I think that is definitely a... A real threat. I want to bring mm. this interview mm. to a close just with some positive tips or suggestions yes. that we can leave behind in terms of this this thing of mindset and, and fostering this mindset of being an entrepreneur. Okay, perfect. Four things. Four very important things. Number Here's one. Here's your book, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, make sure you know where you're going. Too many people I meet – are living their lives according to other people's needs, agendas, targets, and goals. Stop doing that. Find out what you want, where you're going. Build a plan, okay? Don't compare yourself to others. Think about what's right for you. Just to clarify, we're talking about a personal plan? A personal plan okay. first, okay? That can cascade into your organization, your business, whatever. That's the first thing. Make sure you know where you're going, okay? Secondly, Make sure that you can communicate that authentically and honestly to all the people that you know. So if the first is about achieving a future desired state, the second is about being authentic and being real and honest about who you are, what you stand for, what meaning you get in the world, and being able to communicate that consistently. You can't really do that if you don't know where you're going. Mm. The third component is be open to learning. 
always be open to learning. Seek feedback. Seek opportunities to transform. And then finally, experiment in your industry, experiment in your market, in your family, in your employee base by living as consistently and reliably as possible. Be the same person every day for as long as possible. Right? It's four areas that can help you to find some grounding. When everything else is going on, when challenges and pressures are coming at you, you don't know how to respond. At least you can lean on four things. Number one, I know where I'm going. Number two, I know what I stand for. Number three, I could probably learn something here, which might Mm. be a good thing. Mm. And number four, everybody around me knows how I will respond to this, understands how I will deal with this, and I feel comfortable and trust myself. Those four things. If you had to put into words, it's have an achieving mindset about where you want to go. Be authentic, be transforming, and be reliable. That's great. And I think that's a great framework to finish off with. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your success and long may it continue. Thank you, Fred. It's been a great pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media. Tag at discovery underscore essay. And please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more shows on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.